Learning Pod, a Gannett-powered podcast on everything education, featuring Sheridan Hendricks, Alyssa Widman-Niece, and Megan Henry from the Columbus Dispatch. Today on The Learning Pod, we're going to talk about three words that have sparked a national debate in and out of the classroom, critical race theory. I'm Sheridan Hendricks, higher education reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. With me are Megan Henry and Alyssa Widman-Niece, who cover K-12 education. Critical race theory is an academic concept that has been around since the 1970s, developed by scholars, activists, and lawyers. It examines how racism benefiting white people has shaped the history of the United States and how its institutions operate, such as criminal justice, education, and the labor and housing markets and healthcare. But this year, it's become a catch-all buzzword opponents have used to refer to any discussions of race and racism. And those on both sides of the issue are bracing for an impact the controversy might have in the classroom. In many states, including Ohio, Republican legislators are hoping to eventually restrict what K-12 educators can teach about history, racism, and sexism. Meanwhile, some teachers fear that outrage about what many have dubbed critical race theory might have that effect regardless of when students return in the fall. It was only a matter of time before this national debate made its way to Columbus. Alyssa, how have we seen this debate about critical race theory show up in central Ohio districts in the last few months? Well, things have been bubbling up for the last few months now. Um, It hasn't really been discussed on a national scale here in central Ohio until last month in June. Um, Two parents in the Columbus Academy, a private school in Gahanna, um, received a notice that their students wouldn't be able to re-enroll in the fall because for the past several months, um, the two moms had been um, talking publicly uh, to conservative media outlets and specifically a podcast in April called Blunt Force Truth. Columbus Academy felt that the parents talking publicly about the school's concerns as well as uh, spreading misinformation about what was going on in the school was grounds for a violation of an enrollment agreement that the parents had signed. Um, And as a private school, Columbus Academy has every right to do that and choose which students that they are enrolling. Um, So that's why they told the students that they were no longer welcome back. They had been talking a lot about critical race theory, what they were calling critical race theory in Columbus Academy. The school had been making some changes related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and parents had concerns about that as well as uh, some other issues in the school. Uh, Apparently, conversations didn't really go anywhere between the parents and the school, and um, that's when when they took to national media, and it got a lot of attention. Pretty soon, uh, it, it became clear that there was no way we were going to be avoiding this in Central Ohio. Um, but as I was looking into it, uh, you know, it's been here for a while. I think that was just really the high profile case that got people talking. But um, there have been parents popping up at school board meetings, uh, voicing concerns about what they are calling critical race theory in schools. And in essentially all of the instances, the schools are saying this isn't what's actually happening in our schools. So to many people, it it becomes more of a debate of semantics. 
this isn't what we're teaching. Yes, it is what we're teaching. And quite frankly, I'm not sure how productive a discussion like that really is going to be, but it, it's it's here and, and we're going to have to learn how to deal with it. So opponents of teaching critical race theory have said that the concept teaches children to be racist and that white children should hate themselves because of the color of their skin. But proponents of the theory say that its origins and ideas have been misrepresented recently in debates and in the media and that the controversy could create a chilling effect across any kind of debate or discussion or conversation when it comes to race and history. So what do these proponents mean by this chilling effect and that it's been the idea has been misrepresented? So I think what what the proponents of having these discussions about race and racism in the classroom mean is when there's such a loud vocal debate and there's so much misinformation that's being spread, people might err on the side of overcorrecting and being cautious and just saying, well, I'm not going to say anything now. Quite frankly, I think some teachers might be scared of getting fired for saying something that makes a student go back to their parents or go back to their family, um, say this happened and, and maybe the parent doesn't like what happened. And and it, when I talked with Scott DeMauro, the president of the Ohio Education Association, the state's largest teachers union, um, he said there there hasn't been an instance of that happening in Ohio yet, but there have been examples elsewhere um, so I, I guess it's not that far-fetched to think that this could possibly happen here locally if people get fired up enough. Um, but again, schools are saying, calling what's happening in critical race theory isn't accurate. So when they talk about things being misrepresented, um, that's what they mean. They, quite frankly, it's inaccurate to say critical race theory is being taught to students. You don't hand a student a textbook and teach them a legal concept that's taught at the collegiate level. It is accurate to say schools are starting to take a look at how they can include more diverse perspectives in their curriculum, how they can teach teachers to consider diversity and um, different student perspectives when they're leading a classroom discussion. But it is misrepresenting what's going on to say critical race theory is being taught in schools. I think that's an indisputable fact. And something that we were talking about earlier this week that we've seen in some other states is a lot of parents have maybe caught wind of um, professional development uh, days or you know specific courses for teachers to learn about the concept of critical race theory and have you know, maybe jump the gun or assume that, oh, this means that my students are going to be taught that um, or my kids are going to be learning this thing when in reality it's it's more for the teachers to have more of a framework there. Do you think any of that has played into people having a maybe wrong idea or a misleading idea of what this is? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, all it takes is one screenshot of something on social media and someone posting what they think is going on suddenly you've got a, a wildfire spreading everywhere. So I don't think that's far-fetched. I think that 
you know, unless you're actually sitting in the professional development, unless you're actually sitting in the classroom with your student, a lot of what is happening could be based on assumptions. Um, I think it's really going to be important as the school year begins for schools to have as much open communication and transparency with families as possible about what is happening. So that way they can kind of try and get ahead of it. And instead of both sides feeling like they're on the defensive or that this is some big battle that needs to happen, I'm hoping folks can find some some common ground and just have a discussion and 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 learn from each other. I think that you can have an educated, informed civil discussion about critical race theory. I just don't think that's what's happening right now. As we've mentioned, some Ohio Republican legislators are hoping to ban teaching critical race theory at the K-12 level. Here in Ohio, school districts have home rule, meaning each district has a lot of discretion in what subject material they teach and how they teach it in the classroom. Since the three of us grew up in Ohio, I was curious what both of you remember learning about race and Ohio history growing up. So I grew up in uh, Perrysburg, a suburb of Toledo, and I went to um, Catholic school through kindergarten through high school. So I had um, an interesting experience in school. And I remember it being really surface level, not really going like very in depth, talking about you know slavery and then the great migration and then you know Asian internment camps. Um, but it's really like surface level stuff. And the schools I went to were predominantly white. And so I wonder how much of that, you know, played a role in that. I don't really know. But I just remember it being really surface level and not uh, as much in, in depth. Uh, I think there could have been a lot more exploration into those things. But nothing really like stuck out that I remember going, you know, really in depth with. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. Um, I grew up in Sandusky and also went to a very small, very white private school. And I loved my teachers, but looking back on it, I, I do think the curriculum that they were teaching was surface level as well. I, I agree with Megan. I think there was almost a focus sometimes on history beginning with when the white people got here and there was a lot going on before that. I think that it's all about your perspective and where you're coming from. And and I'm sure if you're a white teacher teaching a large group of white kids, I mean, that's the perspective that you're thinking most people are going to care about. But th- there's a lot more that I think we could explore. But you know, in Ohio, there's a lot of flexibility on what you can teach. And I'm sure people in other areas might have different experiences. You can say home rule's a good thing or a bad thing. I think that's another thing you could have an, an educated discussion about. But this is the, the hand we're dealt. And so we have to figure out how we can maybe get some more common ground. So regardless of the makeup of your school, you can have a well-rounded education. Yeah, I I think uh, even though I had a much different schooling experience that you guys going to a public suburban school here in central Ohio, I think a lot of what you're saying I resonate with as someone who really loved history and wanted to study it when I was in school. But, you know, in in my K-12 education, I felt like uh, growing up in Ohio, Ohioans were kind of painted as like the good guys in the Civil War and we helped free all the slaves and like slavery wasn't a thing here when 
you know, now as an adult reading more and more and learning, oh, no, that was not the entire truth. And that wasn't the case necessarily. And I think that there's just only so much that you can fit into a school year sometimes. But um, looking back on it now and realizing, man, why wasn't I taught that in school? Or did my teachers know about that and even had the the thought to teach it to their students? Yeah. And, and I definitely don't want it to come off as like blaming teachers in any way. I mean, there's someone teaching the teachers and there's someone teaching them. So, I mean, this is this is definitely a systemic thing. Um, I will say when I went to college, I took a, a women's studies class and I took an ethnic studies class and I minored in sociology because I enjoyed those types of experiences so much and just learning about people. And it kind of blew my mind that those types of classes even existed. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I could have done this sooner. I wish this was in high school. Why isn't it in high school? So I think even though this wasn't as common of a discussion way back then, I think it's something that people have probably been thinking about, like me too. Mm -hmm. So talking about educators, to bring it back to the classroom today, how are Central Ohio educators responding to this debate? Do we have any idea of you know, what classrooms might look like this fall, given everything that's going on at the state house and at the national level with critical race theory? Well, at the moment, the proposed bills to restrict what can be taught are still just that. They're, they're proposed laws. So there's nothing restricting what a school or a teacher can do. That being said, I haven't talked to a ton of educators directly yet. As I said, I spoke with Scott DeMauro at the Ohio Education Association. Obviously, they advocate for a large number of the state's teachers. I have received a few emails from folks, but just on background. And one gentleman who I've I've spoken with frequently for other things, um, he mentioned to me that Before taking on the role he has now, he was a history teacher for a while. And I I asked him, I said, oh, do you think that some history teachers might want to talk to me? Do you know anyone? Like, I'd love to sit in on a classroom. And he said, quite frankly, he doesn't expect us to get a lot of opportunities right now unless it's on background. Just because that chilling effect, like like we discussed earlier, people are nervous. Um, I mean, I hope that I'm able to get some experiences once the school year starts. Just in general, I haven't been able to get into a lot of schools because of COVID last year. So I was really looking forward to getting some of those in-person opportunities again. So if there are teachers who would welcome me as a guest in their classroom for a history lesson, please get in touch with me. That would be great. So when I was in high school, I remember when I was taking AP and even IB classes, you know, my teachers were saying how, you know, the most important thing is going to be passing these exams at the end of the school year. And so I wonder when it comes to, you know, history and social studies classes, if it's, there's so many standards where it's, yes, there is home rule in Ohio. So there is some flexibility and freedom with that. But it's also if you're in those AP and IB classes, there is standards that teachers are preparing you for with those exams at the end of the year. And so I wonder how much of that too ties back to the standards that these tests at the end of the year will have. And as well as textbooks too, since teachers, you know, use those in order to teach, I wonder how much of it is, like Alyssa was mentioning, like, very systemic um, and if there needs to be like a major shakeup in 
those things in order to see real change down at the individual classroom level. Yeah, I relate to the APUS history mention you have there. I That was one of my favorite classes that I took in high school, but I remember um, how much material we had to cram into that class. And I remember the two weeks before our actual you know AP exam, people coming into the classroom after school to learn about 20th century history be, because we had only really covered it up until World War II. And we still had a lot of time to cover um, in case something was on the test. So it does um, it does make me wonder how much material needs to be taught in a class so that students feel prepared to pass an exam and maybe some other moments in history that, you know, might not be on the test or some might not consider as important on the surface are glossed over because, you know, there's only so much time and so much material to fit in this class period. Yeah, U.S. government and U.S. history are two of the subjects that you take a test on in order to graduate high school. So I do think there is certainly something to be said about the pressure of making sure kids hit that mark before they leave their high school and go on to whatever's next. To learn more about critical race theory and the effects of this national debate in Central Ohio, you can follow our coverage on Dispatch.com. And if you'd like to support more local journalism like this, please consider subscribing to the Columbus Dispatch. Visit dispatch.com slash subscribe now to learn more. Thanks for listening.